<sighs> All right, good evening. Glad you guys are with us. Uh, I am on the phone nonstop, folks. Buildingpatriot.tv, 10 plus hours a day on the phone. And we are talking and interviewing hosts, finalizing contracts and agreements as we build patriot.tv. You guys are going to love it. Uh, welcome to all of you as we simulcast already with a light schedule at patriot.tv. And of course, over at my network, this was launched digitally in 2006, which is worldviewtube.com. We have added a comment section over there. If you go to worldviewtube.com, you can find out that last night we did just that. We added the uh, comment section and we'd love to have you participate in some of those con comments on that page over there at worldviewtube.com. So there you go. Love to have your comments and involvement in that little community over there. We are going to be joined tonight. And by the way, happy Valentine's Day. And thank you to my wife who allows me to be on television on Valentine's evening. I took her out for dinner this weekend in anticipation of being on the air with you tonight. I wonder how many of you we are, um, we are talking to tonight while you have dinner with your with your uh, significant other, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, uh, we're going to keep it at that. By the way, male and female, we don't do it all. We don't do any of the other stuff. So, uh, if you are, you can go to the comment section and say yes. We are here having a nice candlelit dinner, listening to your broadcast, or we've already had dinner and now we've snuggled in and we're enjoying the broadcast. So, if that's the case and we are spending. Uh, the Valentine evening with you. Thank you so much for doing that. If it's a replay, some of you missed the show live tonight because you did go out to dinner. You're catching it tomorrow on the replay. We're glad that you had a good evening. I hope you did and glad you're following us on the replay. Joining me tonight will be Michael Massey. How about the uh, the Black Anthem, the, the um, National Anthem? That's what we all know, right? Uh, e Pluribus Unum, of the one many, right? Where did this idea of a specific Black national anthem come from because i turned on the super bowl pre-show game on sunday because I, I always like to watch the national anthem i like to see what it is they're gonna do are they gonna have a flyover release an eagle so i i, I gotta see what they're gonna do and i turned it on just in time to see a young lady walk out and sing the black national anthem and and I thought to myself, well, I've, no, I've known about this, but I don't know anything about it. I don't know the history about it. I don't know any history or background. Well, wouldn't you know, <laughs> I got a great text from my friend Michael Massey who said, hey, I've just written an article on this. I said, well, I am so glad you have because I want to know more about this. I'm sure my audience does as well. So Michael Massey will join us in just one moment. Then we're going to be joined by David Pine of the EMP Task Force. It broke while I was on the air from 1 to 2 Central Time today that a congressman has put out a warning and a national security alert that Russia may be about to do something that is of concern. And I thought on the air today, and I had David Pine with the EMP Task Force on the air, I said, kind of ironic, you're on the air with us right now because here's this national security alert about Russia. Hmm, Russia, Russia, Russia. How convenient. Right after Tucker Carlson's interview with Putin, uh, now we have to have this. These guys are really interested in uh, positioning Putin as one who's super interested in going to war with us, although that's not what we heard last week. And yet, I think the ones we really need to be worrying about, first and foremost, are China and Iran. Uh, so, now we hear tonight that, well, it might be about a satellite, you know, and nuclear satellites. Well, aren't there already satellites circling the Earth with nuclear weapons on board? 
Uh, I think there actually are. And I think the intelligence agencies know that already as well. And Dr. Peter Vincent Pry, former CIA analyst who passed away sadly a year ago this August, was at this very news desk sitting right here over and over for his TV show that we produced saying, look, there's better than a 50% chance that, that those two North Korean satellites, one or more, have a nuclear weapon on board. Now we've talked recently about Iran putting up a satellite with a potential nuclear weapon on board. But now all of a sudden we hear the media and Congress talking about Russia. Well, why weren't they talking about North Korea? Why weren't they talking about Iran? And why the timing on this, folks? Hmm. We'll get an update from David Pine. And then Usama Dakdok. Usama has warned for years that Islam was going to start dominating the United States of America. We have a video tonight that you need to see coming from an imam that I've been exposing since 2017. And uh, he's now moved to where he was right down the road from us. He's now moved to Plano, Texas. You're going to want to hear what this imam is saying as they try to dominate the U.S. with Islam. Usama Dakdok, born and raised in Egypt, will join us. He'll also be able to talk to us a little bit about what's happening with Rafa in uh, southern Gaza and the concern with Egypt, who says, no, we're not taking any of those Gazans. We don't want them. We'll get into that with Egyptian Usama Dakdok, who has been warning America for many years about what's now unfolding. Joining me first is Michael Massey. Michael, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Michael joins us by phone tonight. We're just glad he's join, joining us at all. Because, Michael, you, you sent me this uh, article that you've written over at your website, which your website is Michael underscore Massey dot com, correct? Uh, no, it's a hyphen, not underscore. It's ah. M-Y-C- M-Y-C-H-A-L hyphen M-A-S-S-I-E dot com. All right, there we go. Let's get the spelling right. Here we go, folks. It's M-Y. You see the name on the screen, but for those listening by audio, M-Y-C-H-A-L hyphen Massey, M-A-S-S-I-E dot com. Okay, so you have a brand new article you put out, and uh, here it is, Black History Month, (coughs) Super Bowl, an anthem. Well, tell me about this, because I saw, you may have heard my pre-show there, uh, monologue there about that. I saw that on Sunday, and I I know about the Black Anthem, but I don't know the history. And I, I thought, I really need to find out where this came from. What, what is the background of that, sir? Well, the song, the hymn itself, uh, keep, um, the, the hymn itself, lift, uh, lift every voice and sing, uh, has its origin in 1900, but it was co-opted in 1917, which was exactly during the time that the Russian dictator Vladimir Lenin and W.E.B. Du Bois were uh, um, uh, advancing communism in every country with uh, melanin-dominant people. It was Du Bois' idea, and this Du Bois is the hero for every uh, skin color-focused um, uh, 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 person that champions were oppressed and they're out to get us. And the boy was uh, was a hardcore communist until the day he died. But what also goes goes unaddressed is it was Du Bois that came up with the idea of a color coded people. And at that point, we have the muddying of the waters, or as uh, as Marx uh, put it, keep people from their history, and they are easily controlled. So I, we keep that in mind, and we point out that 
slavery, and I'm digressing, slavery was never about uh, a, a color of skin. It was about uh, free independent labor and commerce uh, from other countries coming here. They were, uh, the slaves were, uh, uh, the Africans were captured by other Africans. The uh, Ashanti and Dahomey tribes in the Ivory Coast of Africa were prolific uh, traders of their own African people. The Muslims uh, even um, uh, uh, exceeded them, and, and still do today, I might add. Uh, so that they sold them here uh, to the to people in the United States, but it was never about a quote unquote skin color. It was about a labor and uh, people that were less valued than than others. Um, but with that said, Du Bois was the one that went to Lenin and said, if we assignate the people as colored then we will be able to advance communism around the world where there are peoples of color because they will we will then have a audience that we can trade upon by color of skin and that's how this entire myth and lie started the democrats were of course uh um uh, uh, anti uh, uh slave anti uh anti african anti former slave they co-opted uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest's uh, KKK, which did not start out, to, was not, uh, was not uh, formed to terrorize uh, peoples of color or, or Jews. It was, it was formed to stop the um, carpetbaggers coming in from the, from the north. But uh, the Democrats co-opted it and took it from Nathan Bedford Forrest and said, this is ours, and of course we know how they controlled and used uh, the KKK to terrorize. But moving away from that, going back to what what Marx said, with keeping people from their history and they're being easily they're easily uh, being easily controlled. Du Bois seized upon that, um, and the peoples of today, the Obamas and the others, uh, are practicing that. And this myth that uh, they have this national anthem. This is born out of this mindset, which is uh, astronomically and incredibly foolish on its face. Mm, indeed it is. Here's what, here's what he writes at Michael, M-Y-C-H-A-L uh, dash or hyphen Massey, M-A-S-S-I-E dot com. Here's what he writes. Uh, most, most people who, be, who will be singing that make-believe anthem haven't any idea they'll be singing their support for the boot of neo-communism on their throats. They're too short-sighted to realize what living under Marxism and following communist propagandist has gained them nothing but misery. Marcus Garvey followed Lenin and Du Bois in tandem with his Back to Africa movement. Need we discuss the fact that Liberia continues into this day to be a disease-riddled, poverty-stricken, violent face of Africa? The ignorance of these people is beyond astounding. It would be laughable, if not so sickening, watching people destroying their own hellish arguments. It's kind of like claiming then the so-called white man is killing your young people and calling for justice, even though you paid these very people to murder over 20 million of your children to date. But I digress. An anthem is a hymn or a psalm sung uh, anti-finale and responsively. 
uh, also, it seems reasonable to understand in order to have a national anthem, you must first have a nation. The national anthem is the official song of a nation or a country. Either way, these people in their rush to claim something they believed will elevate their own inferiority, foolishly dismiss definitions and reality. But I have a solution. What would that solution be, Mr. Massey? Well, my, my solution, as, as, uh, uh, um, and I state this sarcastically, but not, uh, not altogether uh, uh, being insincere, my, my solution is uh, let them leave. Let them leave. As I pointed out, that football game, which I did not watch, I don't watch uh, the NFL, NBA, I don't watch any of that because they made, they, they attacked my country, they made fun of, of my American people. I have no use for them. I won't watch them. I won't purchase their products. But um, with this, uh, this idea that uh, um, uh, they're forming something, all they're doing is is contributing to their own to their own misery, and the solution to that is leave. In that football game alone, you had more multimillionaires under the age of thirty five than small many small towns in the United States. Now stop and think about that for a minute. Two football teams. With more multimillionaires under the age of 35 than many of the small towns in America. And these are the people that are, are, are saying we're disenfranchised. These are the people that are advancing, that are advancing this lie. And as I pointed out, a national anthem is the official song of a nation or a country. Well, the last I checked, the national anthem of America was sung to the flag, not to this hymn. And the other thing that we hear so often is how uh, how how uh, religious these people are, but they're taking a hymn which is sung in praise and praise to our God in heaven and making it about themselves. That's wrong. If they don't like it here, instead of leaving for a vacation to go to Europe or Jamaica or wherever, form your own nation and stay there. I mean, this sounds, that sounds perhaps um, um, harsh and, and offensive, but it's no less, it's no less offensive uh, to me than having them disparage my country and, and and demean my God. And that's what they're doing by taking this hymn and turning it into something it was never meant to be. That's what they're doing by continuing this separatist idea. How do we have, how do they have their own national anthem? And that's not a rhetorical question. How can they, where's their country? How do we have two countries? Where, where's their flag? Where's their flag? Well, well, I guess the red, black, and green would be their flag with with the fist raised in the air, a la the uh, the uh, the Black Power movement. But even there, what they do not realize is all they have done, all they have done, and what they continue to do is uh, is is denigrate 
the great country that has given them everything they have. And that, uh, as, uh, as Tommy Sowell says, Dr. Thomas Sowell said, these people are not after equality. They're after preferential treatment. And uh, again, how can you say with a straight face that we have our own national, our own national anthem? When did they separate from the United States of America? And as you said in the beginning, e pluribus unum, out of many, one, that, that's a big cry from out of, uh, out of, one, um, out of one many as, as uh, turning it into the opposite of that, where they take many and they're going to they're gonna conform them to one thing and bastardize everyone that doesn't go along with it. And it seems that the NFL has, um, uh, with Roger, uh, under Roger Goodell, has staked its flag and claim to this. Remember Tim Tebow being um, being penalized for for bowing a knee on the field, wearing Timothy three sixteen on his eye paint underneath. Uh, uh, you cannot wear shoes that say Jesus, but you can propagand put some propaganda like this on the air and reprogram the malleable minds of young people and the un, and the uh and, and the uh, um, uh, mentally deficient to applaud that let me let me ask you about the national anthem our you know our national anthem and the flag are we moving you think mr massey to a point where eventually under wokeness, political correctness, what we really know is cultural Marxism that I've been talking about since 1997. Are we moving to the time where we'll eventually find the national anthem is no longer sung, the flag is not brought out because it is a symbol of, of racism? Are we headed, as they would say, um, are we headed to that point? Uh, I, absolutely, I absolutely agree with you, Brandon. And not only that, I think we're there. I don't think we're heading toward it. What we're heading, what we're, we're we're on the path to a further erosion of it. But we're already there. Um, the public schools in was it Camden, New Jersey, or Trenton, New Jersey, stopped teaching the founding fathers because they had slaves. We've uh, had kids who have been told to go home a year ago, year and a half ago, that they cannot wear the American flag as a shirt. Because it was offensive to some of the Hispanics, we 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 have heard that some schools are flying uh, the the flag of Mexico in the U.S. That they they have been told students have been told you cannot come to school wearing the American flag on your on your shirt or or painted on your shirt or as many of us do around the Fourth of July wear shirts that are red, white, and blue because it's offensive to the Hispanic students. So you're right, we're already there, aren't we? We we most certainly are, and this is this is my country. I'm not I, I'm not a color. I'm an American, and if you're going to give me an assignation, then I am a Christian male American, and I am I I am I am I am humbled to be a Christian because Christ died for me and for all of those that accept him as Savior. I'm humbled by that and grateful and thankful. I am proud to be an American because America, America recognized their ills and set forth, uh, uh, took the steps to 
rectify them. And since 19, uh, what, 1964, 1966, there has been nothing but a continued slide from um, uh, modernity and a continued slide from um, perspective by these people that claim everything is racist or every uh, that they're disenfranchised or they haven't this or they haven't that. I go back to these football players. I go back to these people that were on that field, the woman that sang it. How many Americans can afford the homes and the automobiles that these people drive? How many people have the opportunity to go to school, uh, go to colleges, the, the best colleges on, in the United States, and now be paid, compensated? for the use of their images and so forth while playing sports to the tune of making hundreds of thousands of dollars legally to play a sport because their image is used. Now, I understand that argument, but with that, we must also understand that that's a, that's a, that's a fairly privileged few. And this mindset that we must continue to castigate and, and attack America, what has America done but bend over backwards to make a place for everyone coming here legally and for those that are here. And where have these people uh, ascended to since the Civil Rights Act was, uh, was, uh, was signed? We go from 87% married two-parent households in 1964 to practically nil today. We go from 40% business owners in 1964 to significantly less than that today. We go from valuing the family in 1964 to having murdered or paid someone. And this is what goes unaddressed. These women are paying someone to murder their children. It's unconscionable. And then you go from the Johnson years to the government programs that forbid husbands and fathers from being in the home. Indeed. I remember 1972 that in the projects, I know personally women that were put out of the projects because the father of their children was, uh, was staying there past 10 o'clock at night. This is what this somehow this goes unmissed. And the fact that they celebrate this, the, the two tiered celebration of um, of, 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 of uh, uh, misguided and inappropriate lifestyles. On the one hand, we have a celebration of family. On the other hand, we have the celebration of single parenting. Well, the statistics show that a child brought up in a single-parent home is less likely to succeed by leaps and bounds than a child raised in a proper two-parent home. Mm. Abortions by the young people, um, uh, a significant percentage of the uh, of grandparents that are raising the children because the mother and the father or uh, are either dead or in prison or strung out on drugs. 
but that but that's but that but that's but but that's the fault of the free market system, isn't it? That's the fault of Christianity. That's what the cultural Marxists tell us. The source of all suffering and oppression in America is Christianity and capitalism. That's what they want us to believe. Every everything you laid out, all the consequences, they want to put at the feet of Christianity and capitalism. You just put it right in perspective. Ideas have consequences. Your worldview matters. But the reality is they try to blame the worldview of the Judeo-Christian on those consequences, correct? That's cor you're, you're absolutely correct. You are absolutely correct. And not uh, and 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 uh, tangential to that is this mindset of inferiority uh, inferiority that has been inculcated into the children from the womb. Everything is about the white man keeps you down. The white man, uh, my mama had to work two jobs or three jobs or whatever. But they leave out the part that the parent p paid a price for making a bad decision. And the bad decision was not finishing school, not getting a proper education, not getting the skills to, uh, to uh, make a, uh, a, an affordable living or and or having children before they could afford a pizza my dear friend and my, my and um and mentor um uh, walter williams who has passed away wrote a brilliant column some years ago and he said how not to be poor and one of the things that he said was do not have children before you can afford pizza i love that line there was a book written i quote in one of my books years ago and it was a book written by a, a, a psychiatrist that worked in mental hospitals and in uh, uh, prisons and, and, and hospitals, prisons and mental hospitals, prisons and mental hospitals. And it was called Life at the Bottom. In fact, I, I could even bring it up real quick on Amazon just to show people. This is not a Christian man. I mean, you're, Dr. Massey here, as you can hear, is a, is a born-again believer like myself. Uh, life at the Bottom. But this man, I, I don't know where he was coming from i don't believe you know maybe i'm wrong I, I pray he's a christian but i don't i don't believe this was written from a christian perspective and here's the book here it is there we go L life at the bottom i love the subtitle folks the worldview that makes the underclass there's that word we love right worldview mm -hmm. the worldview report uh my worldview weekend my worldview tube worldview radio i've built my entire career since uh, starting out in 19, 33 years ago, writing on worldviews. And here it is, the worldview that makes the underclass. All right. And by the way, look who endorsed the book. Thomas Sowell, a classic for our times. It is as fundamental for understanding the world we live in as the three R's, Thomas Sowell. And what does this guy say? Mr. Uh, Mr. Theodore DeRemple, he says, you know one of the main reasons for poverty this is just the cliff note version of the book. The main reason for poverty is moral relativism, situational yes. ethics. If it feels good, do it. And he said, you know who's largely to blame? The intelligentsia. The intelligentsia that tell the kids there is no right, there is no wrong, have all the sex you want to have, and just do it. Whatever you want to do. There's no standard. He said, this is what contributes to crime, to blight, to poverty and people being imprisoned and finding themselves in psychological hospitals because they've destroyed the conscience of the soul. Uh, Dr. Massey, 
Well, that's so very true. And and Brennan, let me let me also add that these radical communist students that that uh, walked about college campuses in '68. 1970, uh, 72, with Mao's Red Book in their hand and quoted from that, those, those people, they didn't go away. They went into academia. And those are the people that are, 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 are teaching or, or, or superintendents of schools today or in the college camp, on the college campuses and, and so forth. Bernadine Dornan, who was on the FBI's most ten, 10 most wanted lists for blowing up buildings and, and, and going and trying to assassinate police officers, law enforcement. She uh, went on the, on the quote unquote lamb for a number of years, came back, turned herself in and she's head of a, a department at Northwestern university. She never paid a penalty for her crimes. Wow. Never. And, and, and uh, her husband who, um, uh, was interacted with Obama. Um, again, these people never went to jail. They never paid any penalty. And they're in the classrooms. And this in California, this woke teacher in California that was just, uh, I, I just saw a blurb this, uh, earlier this evening that that teacher was, uh, dismissed for, uh, uh, for criticizing wokeism or teaching wokeism. In in, uh, in first grade, uh, or in the basic, uh, the very basic elementary classes, this is what you're getting, and they're being told that um, it's it's the oppressive white man, the government is bad, the white man is bad, this one's bad. It's not your fault. George Floyd, a classic example, he became a national hero in in in. Portions of the cities across the United States that are most disaffected by poverty and crime and drugs have not not classes on you're going to get a better grade in school and graduate, stay in school, don't have children. No, nothing like that. They have murals of George Floyd as a hero, a mural of George Floyd with a halo on his head on the wall, painted on the walls of the cities. And George, but no one talks about the criminal and damage that George Floyd did in his short but horribly failed life. Mm. Wow. Let me read this paragraph before I let you go. I, w- I want to read the paragraph of this book, Life at the Bottom, because it's, it's what you're saying. He says, the, the description, here's a searing account, probably the best yet published, of life in the underclass and why it, perish, why it persists as it does. Theodore de Rempel, a British psychiatrist who treats the poor in a slum hospital and a prison in England. So there you go, it's a slum hospital and a prison in England. Has seemingly seen it all. Yet in listening to and observing his patients, he is continually astonished by the latest twist of depravity that exceeds even his own considerable experience. Yerumpel's key insight in life at the bottom is that long-term poverty is caused not by economics, but by a dysfunctional set of values, one that is continually reinforced by an elite culture searching for victims. This culture persuades those at the bottom that they have no responsibility for their actions and are not the molders of their own lives. 
drawn from the pages of the cutting-edge political and cultural quarterly City, City Journal, DeRuppel's book draws up scores of eye-opening true-life vignettes that are by turn hilariously funny, chillingly horrifying, and all too revealing, sometimes all at once. And DeRuppel writes in a prose that transcends journalism and achieves the quality of literature. I love that line. This is, he says, well, caused not by economics, by dysfunctional values. One is continually reinforced by the elite culture searching for victims, Mr. Massey. Well, this is, this, that mindset is, is a foundational necessity for Marxism to, to succeed in America. And it, it, people, anyone that doesn't realize Marxism rules in this country is either, a, is either asleep or in denial or they are a Marxist themselves. This is, this is an intended outcome. This did not start yesterday. This started, uh, this started in, the, in the early 1900s with Du Bois and Lenin, and it has progressed through the decades um, to the point that we are today. And with patience and persistence, they have succeeded. And when we look at Scripture, we talk about you know, how will these things take place. It's the young people today that are being trained to destroy what is left of our tomorrow before the Lord returns. Indeed, let me and go to this. This has been this Indeed. has been progressing for uh, from uh, from the early 1900s. Indeed, let me go to this one headline before I move on to the next guest. Fascinating time of discussion with you. Here's Time Magazine. I searched this while you were talking about the millionaires on the field at the Super Bowl. Uh, and I thought about, well, what about the people in the stands? Many people will never get to go to a Super Bowl, Mr. Massey. They will never be able to afford it. I thought to myself while you were talking, I wonder what it costs to go to the Super Bowl. Time Magazine has the article right here, dated January 30th, 2024. Prepare to spend an average of $12,240 on a Super Bowl ticket. $12,240 on a Super Bowl ticket. Here, here it is. Ticket prices for Super Bowl are higher than usual, up 38% from last year's prices, according to SeatGeek data shared with Time. The current get-in price or cheapest ticket is listed at 6640 as of Tuesday afternoon on SeatGeek's website. Uh, then it's jumping on us here. While the average uh, ticket... While the average resale ticket price for the biggest sporting event in America is a whopping five figures at $12,240. Prices vary slightly depending on where they're purchased. As of Tuesday afternoon, the lowest price for a ticket on Ticketmaster was $7,199, not including fees and tax. For section 443, row five, nosebleed seats just five rows away from the last row. Seat prices on Ticketmaster were also as high as $50,000. The most expensive ticket, 24 rows from the field in Section 112, currently stands at more than $62,000 on seat ticket. Um, so here they are uh, singing an um, anthem about how oppressive America is and telling us all this claptrap while the people sitting there are probably in the top 1% of America or at least somehow found their way to tickets that average $12,240, not counting, ho counting hotels and taxis and food and travel, Mr. Massey. Think what that think what that says of where we are as a country when this abomination uh, of of a game had the highest audience ever. It enjoyed its greatest audience to date. Think about that one. 
Mm. Michael, M-Y-C-H-A-L. Look, let's show the website. Michael-Massey.com. Michael-Massey.com. You'll find his articles there, his commentaries there. And uh, sir, as always, thank you for joining us on such short notice. Thank you so much for having me. God bless. You too, my friend. Michael Massey checking in tonight. Let's not delay. Let's keep moving because we have so much more to get to. Joining me up next is Mr. David Pine with the EMP Task Force. He was on my broadcast today, and while we were broadcasting, it came out that there was supposedly a national security concern and alert, and it was related to Russia, Russia, Russia. I think the timing in itself is quite interesting, but the reality is it might have more to do with Tucker Carlson visiting Vladimir Putin than anything. And of course, we need a good distraction from the uh, we need a good distraction from uh, Joe Biden's problems. And we also need some political pressure in Washington to get the Republicans to pass, you know, this huge bill. Uh, which has all kinds of funding in it that really shouldn't go nowhere to Ukraine, but should stay here at home. But uh, we got we to gotta stir up the hornet's nest in Washington, D.C. to get this legislation passed. So, folks, the timing is not coincidental. There, this would help to solve, or at least for a period of time, solve in the public relations arena a few uh, objectives. Joining me now is David Pine. Sir, thank you for being with us. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me back. Would you agree that this is uh, the timing on this is quite suspicious? It's very suspicious. And, uh, of course, uh, it comes as no surprise that the uh, leaker of this uh, intelligence is, uh, is Mike Turner, who's one of, you know, one of a, uh, a handful of uh, fanatics uh, in terms of, you know, supporting Ukrainian aid uh, above U.S. national security. Um, he and other senior Republicans in the House have been, uh, you know, lobbying essentially for Zelensky and against U.S. national security interests uh, for the past two years, and and that's why, as we discussed, as this came live on on uh, your your radio show earlier today, uh, you know, that was our first conclusion was that uh, you know this this was uh, an effort by Turner, uh, and I still think it is, by the way, to um, force uh, you know pressure Speaker Mike Johnson, who's admirably uh, said that the Ukraine aid bill that the Senate passed uh, a couple days ago uh, is dead on arrival, uh, to to uh, force him to uh, to hold a floor vote, uh, you know, which he could whip against, but it would pass overwhelmingly, unfortunately, because there's uh, too many neoconservative Republicans, America last Republicans uh, would join with uh, almost all the Democrats, uh, aside from a few in passing this legislation. Look at this headline tonight. Uh, GOP warning of national security threat is about Russia wanting nuclear weapon in space, says sources. Um, well, I guess my question would be, how do we know they're not already there? Uh, Dr. Peter Price said at this very desk, filming his TV show, as you know, uh, you now lead the organization he once led, and he passed away, uh, listening friends, uh, a year ago this past August. But he said at this desk, warning that there was a better than 50% chance that the two North Korean satellites circling the globe coming over America, that one or both, have a nuclear weapon on board. Mr. Pine was a guest with us just a few months ago when Iran launched something, and a satellite it was, and there was talk with us that evening that they could very well have something uh, nuclear on board that satellite. So the idea that, uh, you know, satellites are, um, you know, carrying nuclear weapons, be it North Korea or China or Iran, this is nothing new. The ABC is acting like this is, ooh, 
You know, I talked to some buddies uh, retired from the space arena and whatnot tonight, a military arena, and they were laughing, you know, and basically said, yeah, tell your audience uh, this isn't something to be getting all hyper about. Now, is it? Basically, I think what they were telling me was, yeah, you think we don't know that there's probably already satellites that have nuclear weapons aboard? <laughs> but apparently ABC doesn't know this. But Dr. Pry told us that right here at this desk was probably a high probability above 50% just with North Korea's two satellites. Yeah, I mean, what we do know is that uh, North Korea and probably Iran as well both have super EMP satellites and uh, over the U.S. We're being at ideal uh, EMP strike altitudes at 280 miles. And I've, I've been saying for years uh, that if, if uh, North Korea has them, uh, Russia and China certainly would have them as well. I mean, North Korea's, you know, I mean, they're, they're advanced, but they're far behind the power curve uh, in terms of you know, nuclear technology and, and weapons deployment, uh, certainly quality and well uh, as quality as well uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, comparison to Russia, Russia and China. But uh, one thing your audience needs to know is uh, Russia had, uh, first put nukes in orbit in 1967. And it was it was their testing and deployment, uh, operational deployment likely of uh, what's called fractional orbital bombardment system uh, nuclear weapons in space that caused uh, the U.S. to pressure them to sign um, the orbital or the uh, the Outer Space Treaty. The Outer Space Treaty purportedly uh, bans all orbital uh, nuclear weapons. But, uh, you know, Russia and China have signed that treaty. I think Iran and North Korea have not. Uh, so they wouldn't be in violation of the treaty. Um, Iran, I guess, uh, signed it but never ratified it. Uh, but Russia and China, you know, uh, Russia obviously has uh, a very egregious record of uh, violating its arms control treaties, every single one of them, uh, with perhaps uh, exception of the, of the uh, CFP treaty. Uh, and the China, of course, refuses to have any, uh, sign any arms control treaties because they're uh, building a nuclear arsenal that's uh, likely about three times larger than ours, uh, which likely will be finalized by the end of the year. So um, as far as these particular um, weapons, it looks like these are likely X-ray lasers. So X-ray lasers uh, are something that U.S. Um, uh, tried to develop from 1979 to 1988 as part of uh, what was called uh, Project Excalibur. It was a program started uh, during the Carter administration that it was heavily advertised as one of uh, Reagan's uh, wonder weapons that he was going to develop uh, as part of the Strategic Defense Initiative. But sadly, it was abandoned uh, by the Reagan administration before he even left office. And essentially what it does is, uh, is it positions uh, satellites within a certain range of a nuclear detonation uh, so that uh, they can uh, target, they can have pre-aimed coordinates. Uh, and these can be against satellites, it can be against uh, uh, ballistic missiles. Uh, so my, my assessment is that these are not uh, anti-satellite weapons at all, but are likely part of uh, uh, Russia's space-based missile defense program. They have the most massive missile defense program in the world, um, 10,000 ABMs. Uh, so this is something that uh, uh, Peter Pry was aware of as well. Uh, but they, uh, uh, this would be essentially guarantee them uh, from any, uh, almost any risk of, of uh, a nuclear retaliatory strike. So this, uh, this would be great insurance. But I do assess that if Russia doesn't currently have super EAP satellites up, uh, they will, are likely launching them right now, uh, or in the process of launching them, um, under the cover that these are ASAT weapons, when in fact they're super EMP weapons, uh, a couple of them designed to destroy the U.S. in the event that uh, that 
we we decide to implement Britain's plan to send a NATO uh, expeditionary force into Ukraine uh, to defend Kyiv from a, a new Russian offensive. Let, let's talk about this here. You, you, Project uh, Excalibur, is that how you say it? Yep. Okay. Uh, he, the, the picture we were showing is an illustration depicting Excalibur firing at three nearby targets. Most descriptions each could fire at dozens of targets, which would be hundreds or thousands of kilometers away. So you're you're saying that this might be what they're really working on right here, this anti-ballistic missile system? Yes. Uh, so my the reason that I assess that is that um, it's well known that open sources. Um, on, uh, there was a U.S. Senate hearing, uh, Armed Services hearing that was held, I think last March that I that I watched in in full. And during that hearing, there were multiple senators that were uh, talking to our, you know, our top generals. And I think, uh, yeah, it was just, I think it was just uh, four-star generals, I think NORTHCOM commander and STRATCOM commander. And uh, during their, their questions, they prefaced, uh, some of them pre prefaced their questions by saying, hey, we know that, uh, you know, Russia or China could take out all of our satellites in the first two hours of the conflict with cyber attack. So why in the heck would Russia send nuclear weapons into space uh, to accomplish a mission they can already accomplish uh, with cyber weapons. There's there's no rationale for them to do that. So uh, we have to conclude that the, the purpose of Russian nukes in, in space is something other than that. I would argue something more important, uh, namely uh, the, the missions I just stated, you know, uh, super EMP to destroy the US uh, with a nuclear EMP enhanced weapon, uh, as well as uh, uh, space-based missile defense, which we know to be the most effective means of, of missile defense, uh, which we've uh, since developed. Hmm. So uh, I think these are these are very uh, these are very critical preparations. I think they indicate a very advanced state of preparedness uh, and and perceived threat by the Russians uh, that they are fearing a uh, nuclear war with the United States. Uh, they believe the U.S. is going to start it, uh, and they they believe that would occur by again by uh, Russian or direct military intervention by NATO in Ukraine. And what do you what do you think? Do you think that Putin's uh, seeing that the neocons and the Bidens are wanting and the World Economic Forum is wanting to go to war in order to, uh, you know, I don't know, depopulate uh, the New World Order, get rid of Putin, someone that will come into their New World Order? I mean, ultimately, if he's the strong nationalist that everyone says he is, he needs to go so he'll get on board with the New World Order, correct? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that, that uh, speculate about that. I actually don't believe that uh, Biden and the neoconservatives are, are suicidal. I think they have this uh, outdated, uh, ideologically proven false religion, essentially, that uh, uh, primacy or, or globalism is, is the key. That's what we need to stick to, uh, trying to be the biggest bully in the block, as, as uh, General Powell once stated, Secretary of State. Um, and and uh, to uh, uh, protect NATO and, and advance NATO's borders and America's liberal empire, no matter what the cost. And so I don't think they they actually anticipate. They they don't understand the way Russia and China think. Uh, they really think I think they can get away with defending Taiwan and even perhaps sending troops into Ukraine uh, with zero or near zero risk of nuclear escalation. That's not the case. And even if that were the case, they don't even understand the super EMP threat or the the true. Uh, you know, cyber threat. Uh, cyber alone could destroy the U.S. Uh, you know, cyber encounter space attack it could take out our grid indefinitely until the uh, cyber aggressor decides to, uh, you know, to lift their denial of service uh, cyber operations. So, 
Uh, and then Super EMP, of course, could depopulate the U.S. Uh, by up to 90%. Cyber could essentially do much the same thing. Uh, not quite as many Americans would die, uh, but uh, a lot of the same effects, you know, that the grid would go down, uh, you know, no communications, internet, power, the economy would, would shut down, financial, financial crash, uh, food, food and water distribution systems would go down. And as you and I discussed, uh, you know, the purpose of, of, that, of a cyber attack could be blackmail. If there was a massive cyber attack that shut the country down, as, as uh, an army colonel uh, just last week uh, that retired that, uh, you know, told me and, uh, and some other national security professionals is uh, ingrained into Russia, China, and North Korea's doctrine. On day one, they would do that to sh essentially prevent the U.S. from sending additional uh, U.S. military forces to the theater uh, which is under attack, such as South Korea would be if North Korea invaded or uh, Taiwan if China invaded, or Ukraine, of course, if we decided to intervene directly there. So uh, this is a real threat, and uh, it's an existential threat, and our leaders have left, let us, left us largely naked against uh, either EMP attack, we have no defense against the EMP attack, and it's U official U.S. policy not to defend the U.S. against Russian uh, nuclear missile attack or Chinese nuclear missile attack. Mm. So I'm going to go back to Putin's perspective on this. You believe that Putin is getting ready to be attacked. You believe that Putin believes that these characters are going to get together at NATO and they're going to come after him. And so he's getting ready to be attacked. Do you think Putin will be a first strike guy or do you think he'll wait to be hit first? No, I think both Russia, uh, Russia and China assess that they would not engage in, in first strikes, except in the sense that they would, uh, you know, they, they very well could uh, launch nukes first, but it would be in response to being attacked conventionally by uh, U.S. military forces, either in Ukraine or Taiwan. Okay, I want to back up there. Okay, because that, that's a pretty big statement. You're saying that they may respond first, first attack with nuclear weapons. But it'll be because yeah. we invade them with troops and they just say, if this is the way it's going to be, we're going nuclear route. So so while they would be first strike with the nuclear weapons, it will be NATO that moves first militarily with troops or whatever. And they just respond by going ahead and, and escalating. And, and what would yeah. be their reason for doing that? I mean, I guess, again, if you're looking at national protection, you just bring out the big stick. But but why would they not just meet fire with fire? Why would they jump from from uh, engaging with troops or uh, on the battlefield to right right away going to nuclear? What's the reason? Well, I didn't, I didn't mean to imply they'd go right away to nuclear. In fact, I, I don't believe it'd be a bolt out of the blue. I believe they would escalate. Uh, cyber would be first day, you know, first day of the war in which uh, the U.S. attacked them or defended uh, Ukraine or Taiwan from their attacks. Uh, and that would also include counter space. And we'd lose our, all our satellites, our, our country we've taken down with cyber. But if, if for some reason they were able to, uh, or we were able to uh, still uh, respond militarily, even under a uh, massive cyber attack, then I think they would escalate to EMP and a nuclear decapitation strike. Uh, so that's when the super EMP satellites would be activated uh, and uh, nuclear decapitation strike, uh, perhaps with an orbital nuke. Uh, that's something I didn't mention is, is that uh, the fractional orbital bombardment system that um, the Soviets first deployed in 1967, I think they still have those and they've likely modernized those. Explain, uh, explain so that system. 
Yeah, so the idea of a fractional orbital bombardment system is you can, uh, it's really two options. Uh, there's the hypersonic glide vehicles uh, that my colleague, um, I think it was uh, it was Stephen Bryan. Stephen Bryan recently wrote about about that uh, the avant-garde, uh, you know, Russian nuclear super weapon uh, can be launched on uh, the Satan II, uh, Russia's new Satan II uh, ICBMs that carry uh, up to 24 avant-garde hypersonic glide vehicles, and uh, that's just essentially uh, you know they go into space and then they can glide and they can. You know, they can actually orbit the Earth or, you know, travel much longer distances than their ICBM missile range uh, and then come down fast without warning, uh, you know, over the U.S. Uh, but they can also, you know, FOB's weapons could also be used to place a nuclear weapon in orbit. And then that and that uh, nuclear weapon can then, uh, you know, with a minimal warning, perhaps as, as little as five minutes, can uh, rain down on the U.S., uh, and make it very difficult for the U.S. to detect. So it's it's a first strike weapon. It's a decapit nuclear decapitation weapon that, uh, as we discussed, I think earlier today, if if uh, Russia or China was able to take out D.C. with uh, the president, the vice president there, we'd lose all three uh, nuclear footballs at the same time, and uh, we would not be able to launch a nuclear retaliatory strike at all. But uh, these X-ray lasers, most likely, uh, if this report is correct, are being placed in orbit. Uh, to defend uh, Russia in the event that uh, we're able to, uh, you know, to launch on warning essentially uh, before a nuclear uh, decapitate, you know, before DC was destroyed. So, so that's okay. Fascinating. Let me let me go back then. So, what you're saying sounds like what Peter Pry was saying from this desk in my documentary, Siege, which came out in December 2019. He said, "I think what they're doing is going to go with the new way of warfare first cyber hacking, EMP perhaps. But if none of that works, he actually, this is a direct quote, if none of that works, the new way of warfare, if the new way of warfare does not work, then he said, quote, let the missiles fly. It sounds like you're saying the same thing, that if we move against uh, Putin with NATO, the American people can expect that they'll probably just cyber hack and bring down the grid, which Dr. Price said in that same documentary from this desk, that prior to the practice of Vostok 18 in 2018 with Russia and China, that was perhaps the largest military exercise in world history. The week before that, they practiced that new way of warfare with, I think it was called Operation Dragonfly, where they hacked into the U.S. power grid, both China and Russia. He said they did that the week before they did the big military drill with soldiers and and uh, shooting off missiles, uh, you know, and, and, and planes and guys jumping out of airplanes and all the things they were doing and tanks the week before was getting into our critical infrastructure through Operation Dragonfly. Do you, do you remember him talking about that? I don't. Uh, not that particular uh, operation, but uh, generally I, I do I recall him talking about that. So, yeah, the whole idea behind, uh, you know, cyber and super EMP is that you can win a war before the enemy has a chance to respond. You can you can take out the U.S., uh, without uh, potentially a single life, a uh, single soldier's life being lost on, on Russia or China's side. And it's very effective. And uh, I think, uh, you know, some of our congressmen and former congressmen understand that. Chris Stewart, uh, he was at this national security present, uh, presentation with this uh, retired U.S. Army colonel that warned about cyber attack. And uh, Chris Stewart stated that uh, at this meeting that uh, Russia was attacking us, Russia and China were attacking us uh, tens of millions of times. We have tens of millions of times 
uh, of cyber attacks on the U.S. every day. Now, of course, they're low level. Uh, you know, there some are like uh, you know cyber time bombs. Some are uh, most most just kind of you know probing attacks uh, to determine our vulnerabilities. Uh, but this is a very real threat, and uh, I think, I mean, we, we'd be guaranteed to lose a war with Russia and China uh, because we don't have sufficient defenses against these kind of unconventional attacks. Wow. Let me take you folks to the uh, website here that is Dr. Pry, or excuse me, Dr. Pry, that is uh, David Pine. Here it is, dpine.substack.com, D-P-Y-N-E. Spell pine that way, folks. That's the way it's spelled. Please, P-Y-N-E. So dpine.substack.com. Com, dpine.substack.com. He has another website that it's the organization he works with, and that is this one right here. That is emptaskforce.us, emptaskforce.us. Uh, so in conclusion, Mr. Pine, do you believe, uh, well, let me just tell you, what do you ask you, what do you believe is the time frame, the timeline? I mean, um, are we going to make it to the election before this breaks out? Is it going to happen after the election? What, what do you think these leaders of NATO are going to do, and when do you think they're going to do it that would provoke Putin? Well, let me say that, uh, you know, in terms of Putin, he, he's been proven completely reactive to NATO moves. So, uh, you know, people talk about the Russian threat. The Russian threat is directly inverse um, uh, in that, uh, you know, the more we threaten him, the, the more likely he's going to destroy the U.S. So the more we move against him in Ukraine, the more aid we give Ukraine, the, the greater the chance he'll uh, destroy us with cyber or other weapons. So that's why uh, Peter Pry and I uh, both advocated uh, that we, we negotiate peace uh, with uh, with Russia over Ukraine as soon as possible. Uh, sadly, he passed away uh, from uh, cancer back in August 2022. But I'm continuing to champion the same principles and rational foreign policy thinking, essentially what I call a policy of assured national survival that he championed as well. And and so what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is World War III is likely to start from, from China. It's likely to be a Chinese invasion or blockade of Taiwan before the election. It's possible it could happen after the election. But I, I assess that there's a 70% chance that it will happen before the end of the year. And then it's just up to Biden, you know, how Biden responds. If, if uh, Biden decides to respond with purely economic sanctions, we might have an economic downturn, but China won't attack us directly. But if he if he stumbles into a, a direct war with, with China over Taiwan, then all of this hell is going to be rained down on, uh, on us and, and China's going to hit us with everything they have. Now, as far as Russia, I don't think Russia is going to, would join the war uh, in terms of trying to destroy the U.S. homeland, but they will definitely join, you know, try to divide up the U.S. Uh, and you know, take part in the spoils. They'll re they'll retake Alaska, maybe part of Hawaii, um, and uh, it's not going to be pretty. You know, uh, Chinese occupation of the Western U.S. is the most likely thing that would follow an EMP attack. So that's why it's so critical for us uh, to fund uh, the hardening of the grid as soon as possible. But, but most importantly to focus on diplomacy and peace as uh, President Trump is rightly championed to end this uh, foolish war in Ukraine. And and if we elect President Trump, uh, he's basically stated he's not likely to defend uh, Taiwan from a, a Chinese attack. He's more likely to cut a deal with them, uh, perhaps along the lines that I've that I've advocated with uh, EU-style confederation agreement, uh, which hopefully would mollify Taiwan, uh, China, while at the same time uh, ensuring uh, Taiwanese self-rule for perhaps a couple decades to come. Here's a headline at, at uh, Newsweek today. 
Putin and China's Z, uh, Xi Jinping says they're closer than ever amid U.S. tensions. Of course, we know that they're working on the BRICS banking system, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. They've added the United Arab Emirates, Iran. So they're already involved in an economic warfare. Uh, but you're concerned that this is going to go to the uh, cyber hacking and then EMP and then maybe nuclear. I do know that Vostok 18, Dr. Price said, again, from this desk, that one of the things they were practicing during that uh, exercise was they, China and Russia was uh, rebuilding roads, rebuilding roads and bridges. So apparently after, uh, you know, attacks and strikes, they were going to come in and rebuild infrastructure and keep going. So th they've been practicing for a while. They're also been preparing their people, both China and Russia. And yet, as we say on this broadcast again and again, you ne'er hear a word about the American people preparing for war with China or Russia. Or, yeah, I Iran, or Iran. Yeah, I just want to emphasize that uh, my assessment of Chinese and Russian uh, military doctrine is that they will not destroy the U.S. preemptively. Uh, they will wait and see if the if the U.S. Uh, goes to war against them first. So if we we fight a direct war against them, that's that's what triggers this. So all we have to do is uh, is you know make peace with with uh, Russia and Ukraine, and we need to uh, do the same thing uh, in Taiwan, or simply stay out of the war. Uh, in fact, if we were to state, uh, you know, the U.S. would not def defend Taiwan militarily in public, if the president were to state that, uh, then uh, Taiwan would be forced to negotiate. So there wouldn't be a war. So, um, you know, it, it's really it's really in the in the uh, the capable hands of our of our uh, current president or hopefully uh, our next president, President Trump, uh, to decide these issues and determine the fate of our, our great country. So we, we have a lot of uh, a lot of praying to do. Indeed. To Here it is. EMP. Indeed. EMPTaskForce.us, EMPTaskForce.us, and then, of course, his own uh, substack, dpine.substack.com, dpine.substack.com. As always, Mr. Pine, thank you for your excellent analysis and making time for us both on radio and television, particularly with the breaking news today. Uh, you helped us put it all in context, so thank you. Thanks so much, my friend. Have a great night. You too. David Pine checking in. Uh, we appreciate him and his analysis and work so very much. Before we go to our friend Usama Dakdok, born and raised in Egypt, and he can tell us a little bit about what's happening there with uh, Rafa in southern Gaza and the fact that Egypt won't take these Gazans. We'll get him to talk about that, but also talk about, well, the Islamization of America, something he's been warning about a long time. There's someone that he and I warned about a lot in 2017, and that imam who was just down the road, literally, is now in Plano, Texas. You're going to want to see the video from this imam, what he's saying, because Usama's about to do the old I told you so uh, scenario here. Uh, before we go to Usama, let me remind you, we're brought to you by you. Here is a new sponsor we've added, and quite successfully, I might say, many of you have jumped on board and have begun to order, and the sales are very brisk with this new sponsor, just about a week old right now. It's uh, Superfoods, and we made the landing page, superfoodshouse.com, superfoodshouse.com. This is a uh, organic superfood. Uh, you just it's plant-based protein, high antioxidant fruits, organic greens and vegetables, uh, plus gut health. Well, those are the essentials uh, to uh, living a healthy, balanced life. They say, and I agree. And so, what do they do? They pull these vegetables out of the ground, organic, not sprayed, and then they bring them into their facility and they juice them, and they freeze dry them, they dehydrate them, you know, freeze dry them, and then they make it into a powder. 
and then you just reconstitute it with water and drink it. It is a uh, vegetable shake, if you will. Now, you can do the 30-day the 30-day um, plan. My wife is on that. She's the one that vetted this company. She said, Brian, this is really good stuff. You should, you should work with this company. And so I think it's another great way to support your health and this or, uh, broadcast as well. So every time you make a purchase, they give a generous percentage back to help keep this program going. You can order just right, right off their website. Use that code WVW so we get credit, please. You just go to superfoodshouse.com. Be sure to use that code when you check out WVW. Dark protein, dark berry protein, I should say. Super meal, MVP sport. They have a bio fruit. They have a beet drink. They have carrots. They have all kind green spectrum. They have essential mushroom. They have all kinds of different varieties. You can choose which one you think is the best. They even have a blender. Need a blender? You can get that as well. Need a bottle. Uh, by the way, my wife did the 30-day plan, and the blender all came with it in a beautiful three-ring binder as well. But you don't have to do the 30-day plan. You can choose to do so if you want. But otherwise, you can just order the individual shakes themselves, the vegetable shakes themselves. I hope you'll check it out. It's a very exhaustive page. All the details are there. Superfoodshouse.com. Superfoodshouse.com. Of course, we want to tell you about Bella Grace. I took this right before coming here into the studio. I take it twice a day. It's a powerful elixir with collagen, uh, astraxanthin that crosses the brain blood barrier. So it gets into your system. You say, well, I take collagen already, Brandon. It's in my coffee. Yeah, chances are you're flushing it 95% of it down the toilet. That's what studies have shown. And so when you add top drawer collagen, by the way, and you heard one of the doctors, Dr. Vicky, the MD, talking the other night about why this is such good collagen and the way they uh, break it up uh, so that it can actually be digested into your system. Uh, then you add in that astraxanthin. It also helps cross the brain blood barrier. And then you add the cat's claw, the anti-inflammatory, which so many of our problems are related to inflammation. You'll find all the details at melissahousebg.com. Science and clinical trial docs are there as well. And again, we've got about an over, over 80% retention for those who have ordered a subscription and get it each and every month at their door. So you can try it by the box or go ahead and get a subscription. And again, I think uh, not only uh, do we see the great testimonials coming in, another one came in from one of our longtime listeners and supporters the other night talking about what the Bella Grace has done and thanking us for introducing it. We've gotten several texts and emails saying, thank you for telling me about Bella Grace. I've been taking it for several weeks and here's my personal testimony. I'm talking about people who are having serious problems with their hands, their joints, some people that were even having a hard time closing their trigger finger at one lady and was going to have surgery. She got on this for a few weeks. She's closing her trigger finger, bending it. She's like, I'm not doing the surgery. Uh, I guess, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I guess it has to do with the anti-inflammatory in there, according to the doctors we have uh, been interviewing. I will have the uh, man who uh, made this back on the broadcast again with an update uh, on several things. Dr. Mark Miller will be with me on Friday night. But in the meantime, do check out the clinical trials and the information at melissahousebg.com. I will throw out that disclaimer. This product has not been approved or evaluated by the FDA. It's not intended to treat, cure, or prevent any disease. But please check it out, melissahousebg.com. Dot com. You just, by the way, you just rip the top off. It's so easy. You just rip this top off and then you roll it up like toothpaste in your mouth and you're done. Throw it away. I do that twice a day, as does Melissa. I'm really 90 years old. 90. I'm telling you, this collagen is so good. You wouldn't know I was 90 now, would you? All right. I'm not 90. Um, but it do, I do like this product. I really do. Um, let's see. What else do we got to tell you about? Uh, oh, here we go. The wellness emergency kit. Uh, last night, Dr. Thorpe was talking about all the bio 
labs in the U.S. And oh my, there are so many. We even had a map of how they're all over the country. You don't need to wait for a Wuhan leak uh, over in China. We could have one right in uh, the U.S. at several places, unfortunately. Not to mention, can you imagine the terrorists wanting to maybe get in there and do damage to some of those buildings and let this stuff out? But then you have the Chinese found lab in some old dilapidated building, I guess, with a uh, extension cord running to it and then there was about a bunch of pathogens and all kinds of nasty stuff that was tied back to the ccp that was one are there more and if so how many so with all of these threats maybe your family should obtain the wellness company emergency medical kit eight meds in here ivermectin amoxicillin and a lot of other stuff please visit twc no 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 that's not the right website guys twc.health forward slash brannon TWC, new guy in there, TWC.health forward slash Brandon, TWC.health forward slash Brandon. They've made all new lower thirds, if that, and, and they had all this stuff saved, and they decided to dress up the lower thirds, and I like those. But as a result, they're not pulling from their old lower thirds, so they're going to have to rebuild. That's, that's it, TWC.health forward slash branding. Good job. So they've had to redo all our lower thirds with even the URLs. So please check that out. Get your emergency medical kit with these vital meds for all your family members. By the way, this is a prescription. So check your email because you're going to need to fill out the paperwork if you want to get it to come to your front door. Okay. Thank you for supporting our uh, sponsors and the products that you do buy because again, as you buy those, you're also supporting us. So I think everybody's winning. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to our buddy, Usama Dakdok, born and raised in Egypt, an expert on Islam. And he's been warning about so many things that are happening today. Usama, uh, welcome back. I know we had to push you a little later in the broadcast because you needed to go to, to a church Valentine dinner with your lovely bride, Vicky. How did that go? Did you have a good time? It was great, wonderful, and uh, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we went. The only problem I have is I try this stuff you're talking about and my hair is still not growing. I don't know. You, you told me it's going to help my hair to grow and it's not working. I should take my money no, back. No, 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 no. You've shaved your head. Look how shiny and clean that thing is. You've been shaving that head. That's why. Because the hair but, will not But grow it up. is. It's growing on your face. Brandon, these are from Egypt. These are not from America. I'm talking about here. That's the problem here. <laughs> oh, good old Usama. All right. So, Usama. Uh... Good old Yasser Qadi. He's moved from right down the street where he also had in uh, Sarwaj Wahaj, an unindicted co-conspirator in the bombing of the World Trade Center, who I think his son was convicted of, of training jihadis in the desert in New Mexico, correct? Yep, yep, yep. And uh, the sad thing is what we talk about here, nobody else talk about, and we need to get in a bigger circle or we, have, we need to have more audience so they can figure out what we know about what is coming, not just what's happening, but what is coming, as we have warned uh, the American people for quite some time, I believe. Yeah. Okay, so we have good old Yasser Qadi, I'm sarcastic, down there in uh, Texas. He's moved from the U.S. down to Plano, Texas, uh, mm -hmm. and he's got his mosque down there. What What is he calling for now? What is Yasser Qadi calling for down there in Texas? Taking over a bigger property of land and build Islamic city inside Texas. <laughs> and is it, is this it 400, is, 402 acres? Well, it's going to be enough to have their own uh, everything. Literally, they're going to have their own school, their own mosque. By the way, you're going to hear the call of prayer five times a day. No problem whatsoever because they own the community. And uh, they'll have the uh, retirement centers. They're going to have the uh, all the sport events. And 
They're going to have their own Sharia, believe it or not. Let me tell you what's going to happen, Brandon. That's, that's, for those who don't law, know, that's that Sharia. That's Islamic law. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So inside that city or that complex, if uh, somebody decided, you know what, I don't want to become a Muslim anymore, they would take care of him there by practicing the, uh, the honor killing, and they will be, he or she will be buried there, and no one will know anything about it. I believe that is... Uh, literally take over America in any way, shape, or form you can imagine. Because after now, all, I don't, now I don't want to get you sued by anyone. So what you're saying is, in your opinion, you believe that in such communities you could see honor killings and and things covered up if they become their own community with their own police department and everything. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. Let me give you a good example. Without even that huge complex and that community, we got the Muhammad, Mr. Muhammad, the Egyptian who killed his own two daughters, 18, 19 years old. Uh, that happened in Texas. That happened in Texas. In Texas. And notice now, we never find him, and he was a taxi driver. So we, I thought, and I said, most likely, he jumped on an airplane and he's gone with new identity or something. No. The man lived in Texas all these years. His family knows him. His friend in the mosque know him. And everybody knows him for seven, eight years. And nobody dared to call the police. Here is the man you've been searching for, the one who shot and killed his own two daughters. In open community in Texas. Imagine okay, and why? And why did he kill him? We'll make sure that others understands. He killed because, them because it was an honor killing because he shamed them some way. You guys might well, remember these these uh, two girls, beautiful young ladies. I'll try to find their picture. Ironically, I was in Texas two years ago at uh, CPAC, and I was going to sleep and had the news on, and his trial was going on while I was there, ironically. I'm like, wow, I know this story. It's going on right now. It was going on right then while I was in Texas. Because they never caught him. So for you're saying for seven or eight years, years, he was just right there and nobody was looking for him. In a free community where every Muslim knows him, they know about his honor killing to his own two daughters. Simply because they will not, they became modernized. They, they will not wear the hijabs. They want to have a boyfriend like an American young ladies. But anyway, so if that can happen in an open society, imagine me living in 420 uh, uh, acre uh, community with all what you need. You can have your food, you can literally, Freedom for Muslims to do whatever they wish. And I'm not surprised that uh, in that community, and I'm saying without any doubt, they'll have all the right and all the freedom to practice Sharia, Islamic law, inside the borders of America. That is exactly what's coming to Texas. And by the way, this is just a blueprint for many cities. Yep, here we go. Here's the two beautiful young ladies. And here's their daddy who did the honor killing to... Um, to send them to, uh, as he believed, to his to their eternity. Anyway, so uh, Emmanuel's meaning now we're going to have not just one 420 uh, uh, acres, we're going to have tons of these all over this country. After all, Saudi Arabia have bought so much land in Arizona and many places, and you're going to have cities, communities, um, counties, Muslim counties, where, by the way, if you own the land, if you're a Muslim and you own the land, you can tell who can move in and who cannot move in. So there's going to be full control as if you live in Saudi Arabia. You know, in Saudi Arabia, you cannot buy land in Saudi Arabia. You cannot own a house in Saudi Arabia. But Saudi Arabia own land in America, and they can do whatever they want. And this is just uh, the blueprint. First step for the future of taking over America from within America. After all, they own the land, and they can do whatever they wish. Well, let's go to this. Here's an article. Uh, Clarion Project, Clarion Special Report, New York Sharia Patrol. We've reported on this before. I just want to mm -hmm. mention this because, again, for those who think this couldn't come to America, 
I mean, there, this, the, I know Snopes and other people probably want to deny this really happens, but uh, you can go read about it. I mean, it's, it's well known that they had these Muslim patrol cars that looked like the NYC uh, patrol cars, correct? Yep, absolutely. And, uh, and now we know that uh, Muslims are working so hard. Also, one more thing, it's, it's out, outside of our story for tonight, but uh, the, the Muslims of America want to have more influence on our FBI to help us to catch the people who are there called Islamophobe, like myself or you. Uh, and so in the near future, there will be a special FBI to harass or to maybe arrest and end the existence of anyone who would say or uh, do anything to... Uh, uh, insult Muslims or Muhammad or Allah or Islam in any way. Uh, if it, it's like you say, ending freedom of speech in America for the love of the Muslims of America who do not believe in anyone to uh, critique or say anything not nice about Islam or Muhammad. Mm. So uh, should we play a little bit of Yasser Qadi? There's a there's a video Absolutely. here. Absolutely, I can't wait to hear it myself. <laughs> and by the way, we tried to expose Yasser Qadi sitting with, in an interfaith dialogue right here in my backyard with James White, the evangelist, apologist James White, and we got our fiercest, our fiercest backslap from John MacArthur's people, Phil Johnson, executive director of Grace to You. We got our hardest backlash, not from the Islamist, no, not even from Mr. Yasser Qadi himself. <laughs> to maybe a little bit to his credit, Mr. Yasser Qadi, as we were trying to be respectful to him, he didn't treat us with the disrespect and the name calling and the and the misinformation and disinformation, which is a nice way of saying you know what. Uh, we got more respect, and we treated Mr. Qadi with more respect than we got from John MacArthur's uh, Grace to You Executive Director Phil Johnson. True or false, Usama? That's true, absolutely. And I believe Yasser Qadi, he did it in a smart way because he does not want the story to get bigger. And Muslims are very smart. If you square, if, if you're going to go one-on-one -on, -one on them and you put them in, in, on the, in the spot, they will hide, they will, they will run, you'll never hear from them. Because if it is a negative story, they will not fight it. Now they will not fight it, but in the future, they will fight it and they will take us to court and they will win cases. I guarantee you. Well, what does he because need to come out Muslims, and talk when he's got uh, John MacArthur's guy to do it for him, right? I mean, yeah. that's what I felt like was going on. That's what I think. I mean, well, I mean, if, when you got a, when you got someone being the uh, the the uh, what do you want to call it? The useful idiot, and that's not calling yeah, name. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's coming out of my lips. If that's there's a useful his... idiot who does that dirty work for them, why does he need to do it? Yeah, he and I'm not calling anyone to... a name. That's a historical term, I think, created by Lenin. Sure, sure. All right, here's Yasser Qadi. So there you go. A number of factors. Of those factors is Alhamdulillah. This masjid is not just a masjid isolated from community. It is a masjid and a community combined in one. We are surrounded by more than a hundred houses. My, an apartment complex within a five mile radius, a thousand Muslims, alhamdulillah. I don't know of any other masjid where- By the way, he loves to say that, alhamdulillah. What does well, that mean? it is <laughs> the praise to Allah, and that is, uh, all Muslims do that. All Muslims but do does that. But does he they know? Does he know? Does he know Arabic, or is he just faking it? I think he knows Arabic. I believe you he do. knows Arabic. But, because not, but, a lot of these imams don't know Arabic, other than the few words they've memorized, oh, right? But using phrases in the middle of the speech, in the middle of their sermon, it makes them look like scholars. And I have met with so many of these imams who do not know do not know jack about the Arabic language. And uh, man, I'm not kidding. I was I was in Ohio just recently. 
uh, with my producer, Paul Sutliff, and Hatun Taj, and we were there. We went to the mosque, and, and the imam were arguing with Paul that you cannot understand Islam unless you know Arabic, and Arabic is the, is the foundation of Islam. No and, Arabic and, the, Islam. and there you're standing, fluent no, no, Arabic no, no, speaker. No, 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 no. So Paul called me, Paul called me from the cross the street. Isama, Isama, come here. And immediately the Imam said, No, 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 we don't have to bring him. He said, No, Isama knows Arabic. And the Imam said, Well, but I don't know Arabic. <laughs> Imagine with me. He's setting the foundation to say that without Arabic, you do not know Islam. Without Arabic, you're not scholar of Islam. When Isama crossed the street, he confessed that he does not know Arabic, which means he's a Muslim Pakistani Imam without Islam. When you sum across the street. I love it when you talk about yourself in the third person. Well, you know, I'm just because I'm a humble guy. It's like Trump. When Trump crossed the street. <laughs> when you're humble, you need to talk in the third person. That's nature. <laughs> That's right. All right, let's go back. So uh, here we go. Yasser Qadi. Until Fajr, on an average day, six, seven, eight hundred people come. And you all know this. Five years ago when I moved here. That was the decisive five years ago when he moved from right down the street, folks. Okay, now he's there. Now he's there. How's that working? He's out? a Mexican. What? He's a Mexican now. He's no longer from Tennessee. Forget about Tennessee. That that plate was not good for him. Yeah. How's that working out? I think he's in Plano, Texas. I ate at the golf course in Plano, Texas, about twenty years ago. That was a nice community. Uh, I wonder how many of those those uh, upper class Southern Baptist Bible thumping evangelicals and i don't say that to be derogatory toward bible people but boy they love to quote the bible at you when it's appropriate for them but they don't know a whole lot about the bible just like the islamists don't know much about uh arabic but they sure act like they do i wonder how many many of those white southern christians down there were mocking usama and i 20 years ago and now they're building this in their backyard so here's what i say to any of you that were doing that and it's probably not you're probably not watching tonight but if they were what i would say is you know what sorry you know your ideas have consequences you mocked us you wouldn't listen it's like some old guy a guy said at a local southern baptist church 15 years ago when we were telling them when I was teaching a class trying to tell people what was coming and and why the Southern Baptists had been taken over by the Masons and and since they couldn't even condemn Freemasonry at their convention in 93 and what was happening with social justice the old old guy in the church says you know a house he might be smart in some areas but he doesn't understand the big picture and and then others were saying you know I love his class it's so cutting edge and he gets to the worldview and the documentation others were saying it's conspiracy now, everything we were telling them 15 years ago at those classes is here. And I guarantee you that same mentality was in Plano, Texas, at some of the same kind of churches. They didn't want to hear it. And now exactly. it's in their backyard. And what I say is, you made your bed, sleep in it. Tough, tough, tough. Too bad for you. You should have listened to Usama 20 years ago. Brother Brennan, it is sad that if you listen to what Imam Yasser Qadi just said in this last clip, we said six to eight hundred people show up in the early prayer. That is five thirty in the morning. I wonder how many Southern Baptists or any believer in America will go to a prayer at five thirty in the morning and we have maybe 50 people, not six, eight hundred people. Show me a church who have 50 believers who will go to the service in the morning just for a prayer, five thirty in the morning. These Muslims are serious. They are not playing a game. No, they're not. They're here. To practice Islam. Well, you're, you know you're serious when you're bringing Sirwaj Wahaj to your to your uh, mosque down the road, and I think he's brought him to Plano, Texas. I just saw. So um, that was again an unindicted co-conspirator in the bombing Sirwaj of the World Wahaj, Trade Center. 
Yeah, Siraj Mahaj is all over the country. It is everywhere he can put his foot. Siraj, but but, but we're the threat. MAG is the threat. America First is a threat. Moms going to school board meetings are the threat. Not Siraj Wahaj. Leave that poor man alone or you're an Islamophobic. If you're going to insult Siraj Wahaj, you're going to, you're going to insult uh, uh, Linda Sarsour. And, and if you're the, Mr. Mr. Sarsour, you're going to insult Yasser Qadi. You're in deep trouble. Leave these people alone. Let them take this country. And actually, we're helping them to take over this country. Oh, sure That's we what are. We're to why I chose to move here. That when I came, I saw 500 people for Fajr. I said, Khalas, this is my community. Now, alhamdulillah, it's 800. Inshallah, we hope to get a thousand soon, inshallah. Say, Amin. Amin. So, Fajr, Isha, Taraweeh. Wait a minute, say, Amin. I didn't know they did that in mosque. Say, Amin. That is a Baptist thing. That is the influence of the American culture. Absolutely it is. <laughs> I have never seen an Imam say, Amen. Wow, we... Well, because he heard... His buddy, Dr. James White, say amen. So he learned something from James White, and James White learned a lot from him. Oh, man. So he's going to be doing an altar call. Come invite, come down the altar. They and... do. And no joking about it. Really? Really? They do. As a matter of fact, they're doing the altar call right now in our colleges all over America. As the offer the opportunity for our young men and the young women to become Muslim, says the Shahada. And I'm not kidding you. They ran to the stage, to the center of the altar call, to say the Shahada. And the ladies covered them in hijabs, the ladies, and the men all say the Shahada in unity, and they all become Muslims. If you give an altar call today in a college in America, you'll be lucky, or you say blessed, if you get one or two, get saved. But Muslims give the altar call and Hundreds of our students run to the stage to say the Shahada and become Muslim. That's mm -hmm. a very sad capacity. Story, Eid, we have five Salah for Eid, over 10,000 people. Lee, these factors coming together, we actually analyzed what made Epic so significant and then decided to plan an entire, not just subdivision, not just some cul de sacs and an apartment complex. No. What if we were to take the best of what Epic has to offer and then rather than just a hundred houses, maybe a thousand plus houses, rather than just one masjid and one facility, a magnificent complex, rather than just an apartment complex that happens to be here, a purpose-built apartment complex, rather than just one subdivision, an entire city that we advertise to the entire American subcontinent that look, Epic One was such an amazing success. What do you think would happen if we bring forth Epic 2.0? Wow, maybe they'll give a special apartment so James White and his friends can visit and they can have their interfaith dialogues. Uh, Brian, I, I, you know, in America here we have in our culture, if you, if, you have, if you buy the house or you build a house, you have an open house. Now, if they're going to have open city, I wonder if brother James White will be invited for the open city. Absolutely. The straightway.org. Thank you, Osama. Thank you for watching. Take care. You're watching Worldview 2, a Brandon House television network.